When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley, and I can smell summer break. It's so close. So close. Two yes. more two more weeks after this, That's but we right. have, we're going to finish strong, including this week with our special guest, Father Ricardo De Silva. Yes, we have a great crossover podcast coming up where we're going to be talking about the new podcast from America Media called Preach. So maybe you've seen this in your feeds if you are someone that follows America's other podcasts. It's really exciting. It's on the art of Catholic preaching. Um, so we're going to be talking to Ricardo a little bit about the inspiration behind the podcast, what they're trying to do about it. And then we're going to include one of their episodes in this feed so you can just stay put and listen to the great new podcast. Yes. And if you're someone who has ever fallen asleep during a Catholic homily or walked away angry, <laughs> this is the podcast for you. Yeah. I, I mean, me, I've only ever heard good homilies. So <laughs> I, I, I've not found much to gain from it. But if you've ever heard a mediocre homily or worse, this is definitely for you. Yes. And in terms of our drink this week, it's kind of aspirational. I know. So Ricardo uh, has a great love for espresso martinis. As do I. Yes. Um, and we had every intention of providing for him. And, and sometimes we fall short. Um, so we've opted instead to go for, um, I think, almost the exact opposite. We've got a uh, gin and soda in the studio. But it feels summery and refreshing, so it's close enough. Espresso right. martini, I've never made one on my own. It feels sounds more daunting. All right. Cheers. But before we get to that conversation, we have a few words from our sponsor this week. Did you know you could earn a new master's degree focused in Franciscan theology from anywhere in the world? That's right. This master's program from the Franciscan School of Theology at the University of San Diego is a blend of academic engagement and spiritual reflection. With its online format, the program is designed so you can learn at your own pace while connecting with fellow students and instructors in a respectful and down-to-earth environment. It's about learning to think critically, consider different views, and analyze sources and perspectives. The program emphasizes creating a space for mutual respect, a true Franciscan value. Embark on a 24-month, mutually transformative journey with the world-renowned faculty and instructors from the Franciscan School of Theology. Visit sandiego.edu slash theologicalmasters to learn more about the Master of Theological Studies Franciscan Theology Program. And now we're excited to bring on our friend and colleague, Father Ricardo da Silva, the host of Preach, the Catholic Homilies podcast. Welcome to Jesuitical, Ricardo. Thank you. It's great to be here. Finally. I feel welcomed, but no espresso martini. What's going on? We will make sure to have that ready for you. And you give me time. gin and soda. I like gin and tonic. <laughs> but then you gave me tanqueray. Is that? I, I really don't like gin, uh, tanqueray, but oh, it's okay. Well, I'm sorry we have not uh, met your expectations, but, but neither do a lot of Catholic homilies. <laughs> that's true. Nice segue. Yes, that's good. So uh, we're excited to talk to you about the new podcast, but wanted to start more generally. I think people seem to all think that 
Catholic preaching is bad. Including I, Pope Francis. He has talked about it quite a lot. Yeah. What are the do, do people have more specific diagnoses about what is wrong with Catholic preaching? Is it the time, the content, the delivery, all the above? I think it has to do with, from some of my reading, from some of the people I've already interviewed, um, and just from my own experience as a preacher, I think the key thing is it has to do with connection, right? I, I think that so many people feel like they're not connecting with the preacher, and and that makes it feel long, that makes it feel turgid, but it doesn't, It and if you connect with your preacher, I mean, we all know this, right? Being communicated as ourselves. If you're engaging, if you're looking at people, if you're connecting with the things that they're interested in, then who cares how long it is really? Oh, um, so you disagree with Pope Francis because he says keep it to seven minutes. I disagree strongly with Pope Francis okay. on this for a number of reasons. I mean, I disagree with him principally because from his own experience, um, you know, my own theological training was in Latin America. If you had given a homily there that there were seven minutes or less, people would feel like they've been cheated out of something. As an African in the black African church where liturgies go on for a long time and people take a huge amount of time preparing them weekly, you know, there's liturgical dance, there's music. They expect the priest or the preacher to do the same, to really do due diligence and deliver on a Sunday. So a seven minute homily is not going to cut it if the liturgy is three hours. But if the homily is bad, it's only seven minutes of pain. And and that's what I that's honestly what I think. And I haven't had a chance to speak to any of my guests about this yet. But I do think that's what Pope Francis is is saying, basically. He's trying to mitigate just what a disaster it is in many places. And so saying eight to ten minutes is like saying you can grin and bear for eight minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and so I wonder if there's something about that that's going on in the at least the Pope's mind, thinking I can't change the way that every preacher in the world preaches. But if I can at least say to them, preach a little shorter. Can limit the suffering for the people the of God. Do you feel like, uh, this is one theory I have, is that as, I, I think that like in America in particular, our pr- quality of preaching is sort of contrasted against our Protestant brothers and sisters, and they tend to be pretty good at it. And, you know, for a lot of Sunday services, like the sermon is sort of the central thing that you kind of go for, right? It's sort in of- Protestant churches. Yeah, in Protestant churches, right? Whereas Catholics, you know, we've got- The sacraments. The sacraments. And so- I, I think people occasionally will like go to their friend's church or their family member's church and be like, oh, my God, that person is actually engaging and um, maybe has visual aids and <laughs> keeps my attention for longer. It feels more like a TED talk. And I'm at least like, you know, engaged and entertained for that period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I think you're right about that. For Catholics, it isn't only about the homily. It's a, about the entire Eucharistic experience. Right. So you're coming in for the liturgy of the word, for the liturgy of the Eucharist. And where it's done well, where the music is well prepared, when the readers read in a way that you can actually understand what they're saying and they're not just rushing through it, then you feel like you've had an experience. And then the homily feels like a part of that. But where you're just going into the bare bones liturgy, you're at least expecting your priest to give you a deep, considered reflection every week. So, Ricardo, you're a relatively new priest. Uh, You were ordained in 2021. So you are also a Jesuit, so you had years of formation. I'm curious what your formation in terms of preaching was within the Jesuits. Shamefully, zilch, zero. Really? Yeah, so in my, in my own formation, I have had no preaching training. I remember distinctly asking, so I did my theology studies in Brazil, and I asked somebody, 
in charge of my formation whether I could have some preaching and presiding training because it's something that I'm very passionate about. I've always done public speaking and debating. And so it's the kind of thing that I loved. And I was really looking forward to the craft of preaching and presiding. And he said to me, the people will teach you, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot to expect to the people, uh, especially when the people don't understand you know, how the books operate, the liturgical books, for example. But also that it, it presumes that the people um, know everything about what it is to be a priest, and they don't, right? I and mean, have the time to write an homily for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I think that I think the key thing for me in my own experience has been I've gone to look for it, and I have a certain knack, I suppose, for communicating, and I'm able to do that. I've had experience through my schooling to get some of those skills in speaking and writing. You know, I, I happen to be a journalist, so I can put together a text, like an editor text. But all those skills are presumed for so many uh, in a a way that they're just not given to them. And then the other thing you have to think about is, you know, in my case, I have one homily, generally speaking, I have one homily a week. I have a couple of weekday masses. Those are less preparation than a Sunday homily. But for most diocesan priests, they have between three to five masses and often have several homilies a week, not only weekdays, but funerals and um, baptisms and marriages. It's a lot of work. It, it, it takes a lot of work. And so it requires preparation and requires formation in doing that. I think that's one thing people in the pews often don't realize because this is their one interaction with the priest. They don't realize what other responsibilities there. So they're like, you have a whole week to write a homily. How is this what you came up with? Yeah. When actually what you have is probably three hours before you deliver the homily, if you're lucky. right? And so what's your approach to writing a homily? <laughs> I knew this question was coming. Um, I generally look at the readings sometime in the week. And by that, I really mean I read through them uh, and I allow them to percolate. Uh, I I don't think I give it any real active thought until sometime on a Saturday or Sunday um, when I then pray with the readings. Uh, I find that I have to pray. I have to actually just, even if it is just reading through them again and staying with one phrase or seeing what comes into my mind, but actively asking God for help mm-hmm. and saying, hey, God, I'm going to have people in front of me um, in a couple of hours. What do you want me to say to them? You know, what have I been hearing in the confessional? What have I been hearing my colleagues at America talk about? What's in the news? And then usually something comes together. Sometimes it doesn't come together and I get incredibly frustrated. I'll write a few things down. won't know what to do. I might go for a run or go to the gym. And it, it sometimes clicks in the middle of a workout. Um, just, oh, that's what I think I'll do. And and so I find that having the ideas just simmering in my head for most of the week, um, by the time I get to Sunday, there's usually something pretty good there um, that I can tap into. And then, but sometimes, you know, I, I get up on, and I'll be honest about this, I get, I get to the podium and I have a whole sense of what I want to say and I get a completely different idea and I run with it. Mm. Um, but then I sort of feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to do that, but definitely do as much preparation as I can. Something I've heard a lot from people is like, I just need my homily to give me like one point, something to take away. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm looking for something to like bring home with me and like meditate on throughout the week. Is that is that generally a goal that you think homilists should go for? Or is that something that we should expect out of homilies? Or is that maybe like trying to like import expectations from like corporate speaking world into 
uh, liturgical setting. No, I, th- I think it's a reasonable expectation. And increasingly, I think it's a good one, I mean, especially to say, you know, is there one thing that I can leave people with? Now, the danger, and one of our preachers recently said this, uh, Father John Gribowicz of the Diocese of Brooklyn, on, on the episode, the second episode of Preach, he said this, right? We have to be careful that we don't tell people exactly what we think we want them to hear because the nine times out of 10, they won't hear it. Yeah, or he, They're going to hear something else. It was like, let people um, finish the thought themselves, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting because I think in other contexts, it's like, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them, like really try to hit them over the head with something and so that they remember it. But you know, his advice was like, leave some room for, for God to operate. Yeah, for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Digging into the podcast a bit more, so it, it has two audiences really in mind. So mm-hmm. one, uh, preachers to, mm-hmm. to help them become better preachers, and maybe two, people who are, are looking for maybe a supplemental homily to what they're hearing mm-hmm. at Mass. But but focusing on that first audience, what how are you approaching that task of of teaching preachers to be better preachers? <laughs> like what are what are your what's your pedagogy? <laughs> So I th- I think initially our pedagogy was very much one like, you know, is there a technique or a tool that we can give them on a particular episode? And we're doing that as much as we can. But as we've been recording and as I've been speaking with preachers, I've realized that certainly in the Catholic tradition, because we don't have so much of that formal training, I don't think that anybody is really thinking about their homily in quite such a structured way. So we will give some structure and 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 help preachers to do that. But what I've really taken um, heart in is something that Maggie Van Dorn, who is co-producer um, of Preach, and we produced Hark together and we produced Inside the Vatican together. But Maggie has this wonderful phrase that she used once when we were thinking about the podcast and as we'd recorded a couple of shows. She said, this podcast is really a ministry of accompaniment. And I, I like that much more. I, I like the idea that I'm there as a priest myself learning, right, as somebody who hasn't been trained, but talking to a brother priest or a deacon or a a, a woman, a lay liturgical preacher, we're going to feature women as well, talking to them about what works in their ministry, what works in their preaching, uh, where have they had struggles, you know, and and being together on that journey, I think, is, is a much more realistic approach. Um, for what we're trying to do on the podcast, almost being a synodal partner, um, walking together on this journey of preaching and just giving support to each other. Well, I think that's so essential and part of why I was so excited about this podcast, because in almost every other profession, you know, I can you can look at a peer doing their job, either doing it really well or doing it poorly um, or somewhere in the middle and, and, and pick up some things, right? You could, It's like a, I, I learned, oh, I want to try that or, oh, I should really never do that. Like whether it's podcasting, you know, anything. But whereas priests, because their their ministries are often siloed. We're, siloed, we're asking them to do so much, right? Oftentimes you are just like a priest saying mass at five churches under one grouped parish and you're just trying to survive. You don't, It's not like you're hearing other people preach all the time. Mm-hmm. And so this podcast is really just kind of like, I think, accompanying men, but it's also just like introducing preachers to one another, yeah. which is not something we've ever really tried to do in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And I think especially in the diocesan priesthood, right, where we face a crisis of loneliness. Um, and not not only, but certainly in the diocesan priesthood, this is a strong trend. And having a place where they can feel like they are hearing uh, brother priests and 
fellow uh, companions in ministry, talk to them about their struggles or about the, their passion, right? I mean, so many people say, I'm passionate about preaching. Um, to actually hear people who are passionate about preaching, especially when you're not getting that experience in your parish um, or from your parishioners sometimes in, in response to what you're saying, is going to be invaluable. All right, I have a quick set of questions. I'm just looking for like one to two word answers. And you're allowed to change your mind as you learn more throughout this podcast, but read the homily or leave the notes behind? Leave the notes behind. Props or no props? No props. Uh, Walking around or standing at the podium? Standing at the podium, but there's a good reason for that. I have to. I, I, wait, well, no, well, <laughs> I really have to get into this nope, one. Okay. Nope, nope. Standing at the podium. <laughs> jokes to open with or just get right to it? Keep the jokes out. <laughs> All right. Wow. All right. Well, I am looking forward to asking you those same questions, maybe in like six months or a year. We'll see how it goes. We've talked enough about this podcast. I'm really excited to introduce it to the Jesuitical audience. Once again, you can listen to this in Preach's own feed. Um, it's in the American Media Podcast Network. But for now, just stick around. You're going to hear uh, this upcoming Sunday's episode. These drop on Monday, right? So we should explain. It drops on Monday so that you know preachers could actually use this as inspiration for their homily prep. Yep, that's the idea. And I mean, to also to connect to what Ashley said about the second purpose of the podcast, which is you know maybe as a s supplemental homily, not so much as a supplemental homily as an opportunity for the people uh, in the pews to get a sense of what goes into preparing a homily and maybe to have a little bit more appreciation of what their priest is thinking or saying up there on a Sunday. But yes, so drops on Monday in preparation for the following Sunday so that the priest and the congregation have a time to digest the upcoming readings. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Ricardo. Thank you. Before we get to the rest of the episode, I want to give a shout out to Lily Endowment, Inc., who is helping to fund Preach through a generous grant from its Compelling Preaching Initiative. Now stick around for an episode of Preach with Deacon Fritz Bauerschmidt for the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time. I've discovered over the years that if you save your big point for the end, People have often tuned you out. It doesn't matter how good a preacher you are. Half the people really don't listen much beyond the first minute. And so you really kind of have to give them something in that first minute. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and also associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Fritz Bauerschmidt, Fritz is a permanent deacon in the Archdiocese of Baltimore assigned to the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen. He is also a professor of theology at Loyola Maryland University, the Jesuit University in Baltimore, an author, a husband, and a father of three. Fritz, welcome to Preach. Thank you, Ricardo. Happy to be here. So you are the very first deacon to join us on Preach. It's a real joy to have you with us. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Thank you for extending it. In the homily that we're about to hear, you've chosen to reflect on the second reading, 
which may appear an unusual choice. Most often the homily would be drawn from the gospel, maybe the first reading, a little bit of the psalm, because we know these are often connected. You've chosen to preach on this reading, uh, today taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and you've really honed in on one sentence in that reading. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, once reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We'll link to these in our show notes. But how did you come to this idea of preaching on the second reading this week? Well, I think you correctly identified the sentence from that reading that jumped out at me. And of course, one of the challenges of preaching, particularly on Paul, is he often has these very long, connected arguments, right, that don't get easily divided up. And so it's really hard to preach on Paul unless you're going to be preaching on Paul to a congregation that can remember from week to week what was preached the week before, Mm. and you stay on Paul for a long time. But every once in a while, Paul comes up with a one-liner that I think is really striking and sparks thoughts in my head, and that I think can, in a sense, stand on its own. And this was one of those weeks. So it was this idea that sin makes us enemies of God, and yet God reconciles us while we're still sinners. I read that and I thought, that'll preach. That'll preach. So you serving as a permanent deacon at the cathedral in Baltimore, and your primary audience is the parish congregation at the cathedral in Baltimore. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about the makeup of that congregation and who you're addressing in particular in this homily? Well, I would say that the congregation at the cathedral is actually quite diverse. It's in a fairly well-to-do section of Baltimore in the northern part of the city in what would have been a suburb 50 years ago. And so a number of our parishioners are professional people who you know, live in that neighborhood or who come to the cathedral because it's the cathedral. We tend to get a fair number of immigrants, often from African countries or from the Philippines, who I think are drawn to the cathedral because it's a large, grand church and it's sort of the mother church of the diocese. We average about 800 people on a Sunday over the course of four masses. But I also think a cathedral is a place where people come who are sometimes feel marginalized by the church, oddly enough, because it's a place you can come and sit in the back pew and nobody's going to like engage you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then the challenge in preaching in that kind of context is how can I engage people who are just sitting in the back pew and maybe hanging on to their Catholicism by their fingertips? Which probably connects your other vocation as a professor of theology or as a teacher, right? Where you're often trying to engage people in the classroom when it's difficult to get their attention. Yes, yes. It's hard to get their attention. And they also, you know, many 18, 19, 20-year-olds even if they were raised Catholic, they feel somewhat marginally attached to the church. So it's a it's a similar sort of challenge, a different genre, but a similar challenge. Wonderful. So would you like to give a shout out to the community, whomever you're directing this homily at? Well, so this may very well end up being preached at the Cathedral of Mary Our Queen on the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time. This is for you, Cathedral of Mary Our Queen. Wonderful. I can't wait to hear this homily. We will now hear Fritz Bauschmidt's homily for the 11th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. In a song entitled Enemies, the rapper 
Post Malone sings, used to have friends, now I got enemies, used to keep them close, now they dead to me. It's too late to turn this mess around. Actually, he doesn't say mess. He uses a word that you can use in hip hop, but you can't really use in the pulpit. So I'll just say mess. Now, I don't know Mr. Malone or even much about him. So I don't know how sincerely he holds this view, but I do know that God has something different in his approach to his enemies, an approach that is, for us, good news. In our second reading, St. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, here the good news comes wrapped up in bad news, and you can't really ignore the bad news and simply focus on the good news because you can't appreciate how good the good news is apart from the bad news. The bad news is that sin makes us God's enemies. We sometimes try to soft-pedal this bad news. We speak of mistakes or flaws or say that sin separates us from God, suggesting perhaps that we're like a wandering child in the mall separated from an inattentive parent. But there's no soft-pedaling in Paul. He is clear that sin brings about a radical rupture in our relationship with God. As Post Malone might put it, God used to keep us close, but now we're dead to him. We're dead in our sin because we're cut off from the source of all life. And our enmity toward God spreads forth into enmity toward each other. Friendship with God lost, friendship with each other becomes impossible. The world becomes a place of savage competition as we each try to cling to the scraps of life left to us. We are, as Paul says, sinners, ungodly, helpless. Bad news indeed. But it's only when we recognize the devastation that sin has wrought in our relationship with God that we can really grasp the astonishing glad tidings that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not too late to turn this mess around. Because God does not wait for us to make the first move, for us to make a gesture of friendship or reconciliation. No, God steps into the full fury of our rejection, our hatred and cruelty, the kind of furious cruelty that we reserve for our worst enemies. On the cross, Jesus bears the full force of our enmity toward God and each other. And he does this because he loves us, enemies that we are, sinners, ungodly, helpless. And this is how God differs from Post Malone and from us. Paul says that maybe we might find it in ourselves to die for a good person, a beloved friend or a family member. Or we might give our life for some abstract ideal like our nation or religion, but no one dies for their enemy. Yet the astonishing glad tidings of Christ is that this is precisely what God does so that we might be justified, reconciled, brought back into friendship with God. Certainly by human standards, we might agree with Post Malone, it's too late to turn this mess around. There are lines that are crossed that cannot be uncrossed, acts of betrayal that make people dead to us, make relationships beyond repair. 
But God's not like that. God is, Paul tells us, the one who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. For God, who holds our lives in his hands, it's never too late to turn this mess around, no matter how devastating the damage. So what does this mean for us? How do we live out this restored friendship with God through Jesus Christ? Here, the good news within the bad news becomes news that brings challenge and hope. Just as lost friendship with God makes friendship with each other impossible, God's resurrection of that friendship makes it possible to live in friendship with each other once again. Jesus says to the disciples he sends out in today's gospel, without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. Without cost, we who were God's enemies have received mercy and reconciliation. Without cost, we who are now God's friends are to extend mercy and reconciliation to others. We are to show mercy even to our enemies. We are to show mercy especially to our enemies. Because in doing this, our love becomes most like God's love. Jesus challenges his followers, those enemies whom he has made into friends, to see their own enemies not as those to be abandoned as if dead, but as sheep lost without a shepherd, as an abundant harvest waiting to be gathered into the community of God's friends, as those who are waiting to hear the glad tidings that it's never too late to turn this mess around. So let us pray that the God whose mercy makes us friends will have mercy on us all. That was Fritz Bauerschmidt for Preach. After the break, we'll hear how Fritz connects poetry and rap to St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Did you know you could earn a new master's degree focused in Franciscan theology from anywhere in the world? That's right. This master's program from the Franciscan School of Theology at the University of San Diego is a blend of academic engagement and spiritual reflection. With its online format, the program is designed so you can learn at your own pace while connecting with fellow students and instructors in a respectful and down-to-earth environment. It's about learning to think critically, consider different views, and analyze sources and perspectives. The program emphasizes creating a space for mutual respect, a true Franciscan value. Embark on a 24-month, mutually transformative journey with the world-renowned faculty and instructors from the Franciscan School of Theology. Visit sandiego.edu slash theologicalmasters to learn more about the Master of Theological Studies Franciscan Theology Program. Welcome back to Preach. Fritz, your homily was an education. I've never even heard of Post Malone. What inspired you to draw from his lyrics? Well, often when I'm trying to generate ideas for a homily, I'll find a theme, a concept, a person, a figure, and search the internet for poetry about this idea or theme. But in my search, I came across this song by Post Malone, and I was not previously familiar with the song, but what I quote is from the refrain, and it struck me as like, yeah, this is how we think. This is how we talk about enemies. Yeah, you're dead to me. You know, there's no way to turn this around. 
Mm. Line is drawn, I'm moving on. I mean, that's thousands of pop songs, right? <laughs> this song in particular just sort of seemed to crystallize what seems to most of us a common sense attitude towards enemies, but which Paul is saying is precisely the opposite of God's attitude towards us. Yeah, and then you weave it beautifully with the letter to the Romans. But you mentioned poetry, and that was really one thing that stuck out to me. When you submitted your homily to preach, it's written in poetic verse. And then I went back in your blog, and I think right back to 2008, and you were ordained in 2007, a deacon. And I saw that this is a technique that you clearly employ for writing homilies. You write in poetic verse. I wonder, again, what is the strategy here in doing that? I think in some cases, it's a strategy that was sort of born of necessity. The first church I served as a deacon and the cathedral where I now serve are both extraordinarily resonant places mm -hmm. in which singing, it's a great space. The spoken word, it's a real challenge. And so as I was thinking about how do you deliver the homily, you really have to have the pauses built in, right? And I do spend a lot of time toiling over precise word choices and phrasing and thinking about the rhythm of what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is simply my way of living out some high school aspiration to be a poet. I don't know. But it seems to work. So it is also rare for me to experience deacons preaching. You know, I was ordained in July 21, and I don't actually think I've heard a single deacon, transitional or permanent, preaching since I was ordained. So deacons bring a particular perspective to ministry, in my view. You seem to have to juggle many lives, right? I mean, you're a parent, you're a professor, you have a career, a profession as a teacher, and then you're also a minister, minister of the word, minister to the sick, very particular ministries in the diaconate. What about the diaconate do you think is unique in terms of your homilies? Well, I do think one of the things that's interesting about the diaconate is the way in which the different areas of your life sort of intersect with each other. While we are canonically clerics, we have not been formed in a clerical system. Mm -hmm. We have a different experience of clerical identity and a kind of an alternative clerical identity that I think we just experience the world in a way that I think is different from priests who are clerics. It's not better or worse. It's just different. And I think it brings something different into the pulpit. If you had to summarize the main point of your homily, what would you say that is? I think I would say that the grace of God is so powerful that it doesn't really matter where we are it matters where God is. And where God is, is with us, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are. Great. So let's look specifically at this homily and the structure of today's homily. I've come up with a structure. It could be wrong, <laughs> but I'd like to talk through it. And then maybe you can also tell me, no, actually, I think I was doing something different there. But certainly you've started with a rapper's verse. You've gone to something which people connect with very clearly. And it seems to me, again, that it's pretty intentional because you're preaching to an audience, a diverse audience. But as you said earlier, you also teach undergraduates. And so to have this idea of what is in the mind of undergraduates, well, rap. So you've got this used to have friends. Now I got enemies used to keep them close. Now they're dead to me. It's too late to turn this mess around. 
And then you come almost immediately to what I would call a complication. And you say, in this statement, good news comes wrapped in bad news. And you give us a response to it almost immediately as well. You say, you can't really ignore the bad news, simply focus on the good news because you can't appreciate how the good news is apart from the bad news. And then you actually start to develop it. Yeah, I've discovered over the years that if you save your big point for the end, people have often tuned you out. It doesn't matter how good a preacher you are. Half the people really don't listen much beyond the first minute. And that might be an exaggeration, but there are certainly going to be people there who, after a minute, the child's going to get fussy, their mind's going to wander, they're going to start looking at something in the stained glass. And so you really kind of have to give them something in that first minute. And I really appreciated that. I mean, in my alternate training, also as a journalist, I mean, we taught that, right? That you really need to give people where the story is going. You can't hold it till the very end because you're not going to hold the attention, especially in this click economy. You then have a section which I call sort of development. I mean, you connect to the scriptures, you connect to spirituality, you connect to God, you connect to human life. There's a gentle critique of culture. I wonder if you can take me through what you're doing in that second part of the homily. Well, I think I am trying to show how difficult it is for us to take in Paul's word that sin makes us enemies of God, you know, that we do like to soft pedal it and that Paul's language doesn't allow us to do that. But then there's that post Malone piece. So there's, a, in a sense, a two-sided cultural critique, right? So one part of the critique is we soft pedal sin. We don't want to say that sin makes us enemies of God. But the other part of the critique is then how do we think about our enemies? Right. Mm. And the reason we have to soft pedal sin, the reason why Paul's words about us being enemies of God seem so shocking, it's both we can't believe we're that bad and we can't believe that our enemies are redeemable. Mm -hmm. As it says in scripture, the, the word of God is a two edged sword in this case. The soft peddling thing I find interesting because, you know, we do try to, I think, soft pedal the good news sometimes. And sometimes the word of God needs to be challenging. Sometimes it's clearly challenging from the readings. It's clear that that's what Paul is doing with the community, the Romans. So how do you hold your congregation when you have a difficult message to deliver? Well, I think one of the things you have to reconcile yourself to is you're never going to find a way to deliver a difficult message that everybody is going to be able to take in. And that's has been a hard lesson for me to learn as a preacher, because I want people to like me. I tend to be a people pleaser. Welcome to the club. <laughs> but there are occasionally times when you have to say things that you know that some people are going to get angry at you for saying. And you don't want to just write those people off. I mean, you, you say these things because you hope that they'll be able to take them in, that that'll spark a thought. Or at least if they are going to then come and disagree with you, you can have a respectful, productive discussion. Now, in the case of preaching, I've discovered that if people get consistently angry at the things you preach, they just go find some other field to graze in. <laughs> which is in some ways a shame, right? Mm -hmm. And this one has that challenge, right? Because you're clearly criticizing a prevailing culture and you're using a prevailing medium in the culture, rap, right? And you're saying, 
actually, your rapper guy, he's got this wrong. <laughs> That's not how God thinks about our enemies. And the countercultural message here is the good news, or at least the section at the end, you know, that I think I call the good news, which is probably nothing novel, but you really leave people with something. First of all, you prompt their questions. So you say, so what does this mean for us? How do we live out this restored friendship with God through Jesus Christ? And then you say, here, the good news within the bad news becomes news that brings challenge and hope. And you really end with that, that God has mercy on us. I wonder if you can talk about that final good news element. Yes. Yeah, so during the pandemic, I uh, began when worship was, was shut down. I actually still served as a deacon at the cathedral at the live streamed masses to 2,000 empty pews. But I also began giving kitchen table homilies. And it really struck me that very first week when everything was shutting down, what I really wanted to say was, may God have mercy on us all. And I don't always end my homilies with some reference to God's mercy, but I would say nine times out of 10, I do. Mm -hmm. Because I think that it is just intrinsic to the gospel that we are saved sheerly through God's mercy. Viewing the gospel through the lens of mercy, I think, really speaks to our condition today because we are so tempted in our culture to be unmerciful, right? To say, you've crossed the line, there's no going back. So mercy, in a simple sense, is a recognition that we've fallen short of the mark, and yet that we can still move forward, right? That we can still move forward in God's grace, in God's love. I wonder, is there a piece of advice that you've heard over your years, maybe it's critique, really, that's been merciful for you and helpful in your preaching? Well, the one remark about my preaching that has stuck with me most over the years was given to me after I'd been preaching for about four or five years. It's given to me by a woman named Mary Jane O'Brien, who's now gone to, as I say, she now worships the heavenly liturgy. <laughs> but Mary Jane was somebody who would very much describe herself as a Vatican II Catholic. But she came up to me one, one Sunday and said, you know, you can find those old guys saying the most interesting things. <laughs> and it wasn't really a critique. It was more of an observation. But I also took it as a kind of word of encouragement to think of our tradition, our theological tradition, the tradition of the saints and the mystics as a kind of a treasure chest. And what you're trying to do as a preacher is not kind of sort through the treasure chest for the good bits, but you're trying to actually find a way to open up that treasure chest for other people. Well, I hope that our preachers listening and our listeners listening who are not preachers will certainly find fruit in that and will find ways to open up the scriptures and the sacred readings of the church fathers and other spiritual readings because of what you've shared with us today. So thank you, Fritz. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tewson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Christabel Spielman. 
If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please check the link in the show notes for a link to our submissions form. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. One more thing. Did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every single day? If you are already a digital subscriber, they're in your inbox, probably. Just go take a look. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. The link is also in the show notes. For American Media, I'm Ricardo de Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Cristobal Spielman and Kevin Christopher Robles, who is also our sound engineer. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Loeshert Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.